it taught me how to get quiet, to look internally, to ask myself in moments, this was a moment of hardship, but what's the learning? What can I learn here? And, uh, and as I was training myself on how to do that holistically, who knew what a gift that would be in helping me to navigate a trauma of losing my child? Hello, and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Hello to all our listeners today. Thank you so much for uh, choosing to listen to this podcast today because you had a choice to listen to something else and something called you to listen to this today. So thank you, first off, for doing that. And I want to introduce you to our guest today. Uh, I have the honor of interviewing and having her share her story for you all and for myself as well, uh, of having Bevan Mugford with us today. Hello, Bevan. Hi, Kendra. (laughs) And I'll share a little bit about Bevan with you all. So Bevan and I do not know each other. She actually is a friend of a friend or has worked with a friend and that's mm-hmm. how it was referral referral that's <laughs> referral of her <laughs> that is the world and the industry that we're in a right. lot of it is also like that the industry you're in I'm in mm-hmm. it's all about you know word of mouth referral and so forth too um so it that's how we came to know each other and her story was shared with me and I'm like oh my goodness she definitely should be on this podcast so a little bit about Bevan is she's a mom of four she is the head of sales and the face and voice for uh, personal and professional development at Peach which is a clothing company with amazing work and play and lifestyle type of yes. clothing company. Yeah. yeah. So it's a lot of, a lot of fun. And that's actually how my friend knows you. So that's a thank you. Shout out to Laura Cohen here. If she's Yay. listening, thank you for connecting us. <laughs> so I am so grateful that you accepted to, um, to share your story. And I know it's not always, uh, easy, but I know that you're also, um, you're also aware of the value that there is of sharing not only for others to listen to your journey, but because it is also part of your own healing process in that sharing. That's right. So, um, so thank you so much for hopping on. So tell us a little bit more about you and your family dynamics, and then we'll just, we'll go from there. Sure. Sure. Thank you. First of all, thank you for inviting me on. Um, it's, it's, uh, I think a good place to start is that when I learned in the earliest days after losing my son that I had the ability to speak about death and the process of walking what I call a lost journey, I realized that uh, it was not only something that I could do, but actually I should do. And I almost felt duty bound to start sharing so that we can break the silence around death and teach people how to talk about the process, but also in that talking to really support and comfort those Mm -hmm. who are walking that journey who often feel alone and isolated. So it is my greatest honor and privilege to do just that right here with you today. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for for coming. So you already touched on the fact that it was your son who passed away. He is, so you're a mother of four. So tell us a little bit about, a little bit about the ages of your kids. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. I started my family very young and uh, had my children kind of boom, boom, boom. So I had all of my four children before I was the age Boom, boom, boom. That's only three. Oh, sorry. Boom, 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 boom. boom, boom. boom. (laughs) 
I'm not a good counter. How's that? <laughs> and uh, I had them all before I, I, the age of 26 in a row. And so I had my daughter first and then my son, uh, my daughter's Aubrey. And then I had my son Spencer 21 months later. And then I had my son Grayson 20 months later after that. And then I had my son Duncan. It took a little extra time. He was three years after uh, Grayson. And so it was a one girl, three boy household. Oh, and man. it was uh, busy, loud, messy, and lots of food was consumed. <laughs> so, oh my God. Uh, now, were you working? in the times that they were little like were you also in in the in like I mean not this particular company because this is a newer company but were you in the workforce at that time were you I am so excited to say that I've actually lived two lives as a mother I was (laughs) stay at home for 10 years so when the kids were little and they were in the diapers and crawling around and nursing stage, I was home with them. And then uh, once Duncan turned three and I was able to put him into full day preschool, that's when I actually went to work full time. So um, I have been both. I have been a stay-at-home mm-hmm. mom and a full-time working mom after that. And that's uh, awesome. yeah. Now, what did you, did you go to, before you started your family, had you gone, like gotten any degrees or any type of work I experience did. prior to I being a did. I got my degree. I got my four-year degree. My undergraduate's actually in psychology. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then when I went very, to work, very good for, yeah. very good for you to now use. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it is, it is. Who knew? But, uh, yes. You knew you'd be using it now. Yeah. But what I found when I went to work is that, um, it, when it when it was time to go to work, so many people said, oh, are you going back to work? Like, how are you reentering the workforce? And I looked mm-hmm. at them and I said, what do you mean going back to work? I've never been to work. I'm starting at 30 is when I started oh, wow. actually building a resume. And so it's one of those things where you're 30 years old and you're looking to get a job and the marketplace doesn't look too kindly upon this big mm-hmm. gap between your collegiate uh, career and, and no work. And so I really did look to enter a career that a career path that had low barriers to entry that once I got in, I knew through my, my sweat and effort and drive and passion that I, that I would be able to be successful. So obviously the world of sales called me, that is the place where, where the barrier to get in is lower. (laughs) And then you succeed by, by just driving it. And so I, I, uh, I jumped into the world of sales. Well, you know what you just said, the fact that those 10 years from graduating, you know, in the raising that you could not put in your resume that you were, uh, uh, what is it? All the, all the jobs right. that we have right. as, a home- right. <laughs> as a homemaker. I have nursed you know? a baby while potty training a two-year-old. Yes. Have you? It's like, I, I know how to multitask. I know how to do this, 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 this. Yes. excellent skills at the, 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 the home yeah. organizing. I, I, I've seen some of those videos that they kind of say like the job descriptions, like if we were to put like an actual job description to every right. little facet that it is to be a, a you know a home homemaker or whatever they I don't know what the, what the right, right even terminology is but um home manager <laughs> I don't know um we'd anyway, be very but, expensive yeah. to hire that's for sure oh yes absolutely mm-hmm. that would Im- imagine each of those skills to somebody mm-hmm. so you did that you came into the workforce then mm-hmm. at 30 sales yep. and then um and then the, the kids so yeah so you've kind of yeah you've done it all you've done yeah, it all yeah. so um so then Take us a little bit now, you know, a little bit about your background. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit too uh, about the, uh, oh, no, no, actually, let's talk about then your your son, sure. Spencer, who is who we're going to talk about today. Sure. So first off, how long ago did he pass away? He and do you away. like which words, by the way? Yeah. Which words, oh, choice of words do you prefer? You're bringing up such an important topic right off the top. <laughs> I, I, I could talk a mm. lot about this. I will yeah. tell you that uh, for the longest time, I could not say my son had died. The, mm-hmm. the word dead, died, it was so harsh on my ears. Mm-hmm. And it was just... It, it was hard to come out of my mouth and I didn't like hearing it. And so Mm -hmm. for the longest time I said my son was lost and Mm -hmm. um, that was very truthful because the way that we lost Spencer was he was lost at sea. So his, his cause of death was drowning, but uh, he was lost at sea for 13 days. And so Mm -hmm. in the earliest days of 
um, losing him, that's how we explained it. Spencer is lost. He's lost because he actually was. And then when his body was recovered and he was found, I found that I, I could not transition myself from saying lost to dead. Mm. Mm. So I still struggle with it today. Even saying my son is dead makes my it's chest yeah. and my throat close and my eyes water. It's, it's a very hard phrase to say, but I'm learning how to say it because it is the truth mm-hmm. and, and, and learning how to speak even the hard truths is a part of this journey. And it, it is part of the, of the healing. Now, mm-hmm. what, how long ago did, was, was he lost at sea? This and was then, two years okay. ago. So two, we live in the, in the Northeast. So uh, we're in the state of Connecticut. And he, uh, it was Memorial Day weekend two years ago. And uh, sometimes, sometimes summer comes early in the North and sometimes it comes late. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, the summer was late in coming. And that Memorial Day weekend was really the first warm weather that we had. And it had gone from pretty yucky spring dreary weather to just a gorgeous, gorgeous day. And um, I do think that's what called Spencer and his friend to go out on the water that day. And uh, they took a boat out on the Long Island Sound at night. And um, it's actually, let me pause for a moment. And it's helpful to to know this is that Spencer was uh, a skilled fisherman. He was actually and a commercial fisherman and uh, had a, a, a license for operating boats. He was not a novice on the waterway. He um, had grown up in his early years in South Florida. Um, basically, kids in South Florida learn how to walk, learn how to swim, learn how to drive a boat in that or order. Or maybe they learn probably <laughs> swim first. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe even swim first. Yes, Spencer was definitely swimming um, completely on his own before he was two years old. And so mm-hmm. this was a child that was uh, raised in and around water with a uh, tremendous respect for the power of the ocean and the river, and um, you 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 don't do things without thoughtfulness and without respect, or yes. or your life is at risk. And yeah. and um, so he spent all of his time. He was time, twenty, right? He was, he was 20. twenty years old, and mm-hmm. uh, he and his friend went out that night and um, had all the skill and 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 all the experience to have a successful outing, and um, and things went awry. And um, we don't know, and you can tell me how much you want me to share here. We don't, we don't totally it's, know it's total, what happened. Yeah, it's totally up to you. It's totally up to you, the, the, um, the details, how much you want to share. I think that the aspect of knowing that these things happen, that the fact that it was not just like this kid that just, that's why I wanted to also mm-hmm. share the age. Mm-hmm. is not just like this 10-year-old that just yeah. hopped on a boat and like yeah. went in the middle. This is uh, an adult yep. uh, with a skill set. Yep. Um, you know, with the respect towards the ocean, yep. with the knowledge, and this happens. Yep. So, um, how how much longer? So, when he leaves, how much longer did you guys know that he had been like that? He yeah, like when were you expecting? When did, him when back did we know he was back? he was missing? Yes, yes, well, yeah, yes. Um, there were so many things that that happened that day. Uh, this was May twenty seventh, and so. Uh, I had spoken to him the night before and he had told me that he was going out fishing that night, which was very common. Spencer would go out at night fishing. He was, he was with a friend that he said, I'm out fishing with him. And, um, so they, that I spoke to him maybe at seven o'clock that night and the next day. And I had said to him, make sure you don't stay out all night long because this is something that, um, there's, this is something that uh, tomorrow is a very important day for you, that your brother is graduating from high school. And mm. so uh, he said, Mom, I'm not going to stay out all night. I promise. I'll be, I'll be back in plenty of time. I'll be there on time. So the next morning, I was getting up, getting ready for my son's graduation. And uh, I thought, you know, let me just check on Spencer. Let me make sure he's up. And when I called him, my call went directly into voicemail. And um, that was a little bit of a warning sign, but I thought, oh, he must have gone out last night late. He forgot to plug his phone in. He didn't charge it. His phone's his alarm. He's probably not going to get up now (laughs) because he doesn't have an alarm to go off. Mm -hmm. So we went to the graduation and he didn't show up. And, And at that point as a mother, when you're expecting your son to show up and you think it's because he has been, you know, 
irresponsible because he didn't plug yes, in yeah. his phone, right? Yeah. So your first thing is like you're making you're all these stories. Yes, yes. I'm like, yes. Oh, <laughs> how could you not? How could you not? We went back to the house to have the celebratory brunch, and I called him a few more times, and I'm still going straight to voicemail, and I thought, you know what? Even if he didn't have his alarm, now it's noon. And Spencer is a kid that could sleep forever if he didn't get woken up. I was like, but now it's noon. If he hasn't gotten up on his own now, now I'm starting to get nervous. So I looked at my husband and I said, I think we need to go down there. And so um, he lived down in Groton, Connecticut. We live up uh, in the center of the state. And so we got What's the, the drive? It's about What's an hour, drive? an hour and 10 minutes. And, and we were driving down and sort of making the small talk. And, and in my head, you're sort of saying to yourself, oh, am I overreacting? Am I being an overreacting mom? Uh, I'm probably just overreacting. And I'm not an overreactor. And so I had this like, but why are you overreacting? Because you don't really, mm, there's something in your dialogue. Yes. Yeah, that whole dialogue. Yes. That so I remember we pulled into Groton and we got off the highway and we were about to turn onto the street. And I had this moment right before I was driving, right before I turned down the street where I said, but what if his car is not in the driveway? What does that mean? And I turned and as soon as I rounded the corner, I saw his car wasn't in the driveway and my heart fell into my stomach and I knew something was really wrong. So at that point, I thought, the last I knew is he was fishing with his buddy. I knew some of his fishing haunts down in Groton. So um, we just started driving to the places where I knew he would fish from. And I and he drove a bright red car. So his car was really obvious. So I pulled into all the parking lots looking for his car. Nope, no car, no car, no car. Um, we even drove into Rhode Island looking for some of the places where he went. No car, no car. And, and that's when my husband and I looked at each other and we said, is this when parents call the police? is this when you report your child missing? Because I don't know. Like, what do we do now? And you even ask yourself the silly questions like, wait, don't you have to wait 24 hours before you report mm -hmm, someone missing? Mm -hmm. Like all, all the things you never think you have to consider for yourself. It's only something that's on TV. It's, it's actually a conversation that you're having and it's real. Wow. And, uh, we did, we ended up calling the police and, um, this is now we're probably at what, three-ish, four, three-thirty, something like that in the afternoon. And uh, now a system starts to take over and the system is wonderful and frustrating at the same time. Uh, mm -hmm, the frustrating mm -hmm. part is the system. You have to, to jump hoops. You have well, to go through different hoops. They, and steps. they have to do, um, they have to redo what you just did. So mm -hmm. they knew the last place that he was, was fishing. So they have to go check all of the mm -hmm. haunts and the public parks where kids take off from fishing and, and, uh, and they wouldn't take our word for it that his car wasn't there. And that's when uh, my husband had this moment of saying, you know, I wonder if Spencer put something up on social media last night that would mm -hmm. let us know where he went. So we looked on you know, Instagram, you know, he, he's the kid doesn't use Facebook. We looked on Instagram, there's nothing there. <laughs> um, and then that's when I thought, I wonder if he put something on Snapchat and I didn't have Snapchat. So we, we reached out to my son, Grayson, the next one online. And I said, yeah, can you check Spencer's Snapchat and see if he posted something last night? And uh, Gray was on the line with us live and he said, oh, actually he did. And he took screenshots and sent to us that Spencer had posted three pictures and they were um, three pictures, one of him paddling a boat, um, one of a lit up coastline at night, and one of his friend inside of some sort of structure, which we couldn't tell what it was, but with a cement background. So we, we had, had all these clues. We had all these clues, clues, but we didn't know what it was. But we knew one thing for sure, and that was they had gone out on the water. They hadn't stayed on land to mm -hmm. fish. They had gone out on water to fish and uh, or, or to be boating. And so mm -hmm. as soon as we got those mm -hmm. and, and sent them to the police, that's then when you can start to get the Coast Guard involved. And at this point, can I, can yeah, I, help you? at this do. point, had you, because you asked Grace and then to take a look at the Snapchat, mm -hmm. uh, were, were, had you, I mean, the fact that you guys left the house on his graduation day to mm -hmm. go check in on him, mm -hmm. the kids knew that there was something not okay going on. Yes. Um, I think okay. they were very much in a state of denial though. Like, let me just yes. quickly help you get information because we just need to find Spencer. I don't think any of them at that point thought that it was, it was really 
bad other than probably my daughter who has uh, just a tremendous sense about things and intuitive and mm-hmm. and she was the one that said um, mom I need to post on Facebook that Spencer is missing and I need to post on Instagram that Spencer is missing and um, and when she told me that it became so real because I said you know when you put that out there in the world that my son is missing now the world knows and there's this really weird moment of like, I don't want the world to know my son is missing. This is a private family matter. I don't want everyone knowing my business. And that's when my daughter, Aubrey, said, Mom, Spencer's missing. You need everyone to help us. It's not about a privacy thing anymore. It's about finding him. And it was really hard for me to acknowledge that truth that she was speaking. And she was right. She was right. I just got like, I, I always document my chills. I'm stopping the second because I got chills when you were saying that and her, her words and the everything that you were just saying just right now of realizing that in that moment you had to really let go of the ego component, mm-hmm. right? In that aspect of the, what yes. would they say? Like, how do you report? Because there's that, you know, in yes. order to really get down to the, you know, to get the solution. And, um, that, that is something that I think a lot of times we struggle with. I had a conversation with somebody, for example, regarding suicide. I think I mentioned Mm -hmm. this to you in Mm -hmm. the first interview, in Mm -hmm. our first interview, and that sometimes we just don't talk about it because it's like, there's that shame associated with it. And so even here, the fact that like, oh my gosh, putting something that my son is missing like what you know like is uh one is terrible one is a a, one is like basically saying that it's a fact right and that is already scary in itself right is admitting it's kind of like the aspect of saying died you know what I mean it's again there right it's a hundred percent I can't 100 percent the same I got emotional there Mm. wow so then at that point then how so then 13 hours so they go they send the coast card 13 hours later is when they 13 days Oh, days, 13 days, 13 days later, not hours. Yeah, yeah. How, yeah what coast, did you all do in that time? Yeah. That is the, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. I, 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 I say to you that waiting is the worst torture, and it <sighs> is. And uh, the first two days were filled with, again, those moments of this happens on TV. <laughs> but to find out where the kids took off from, they brought out um, a dog, and the dog scented the area, found the kids' scent, and found their point of departure from land. Once they had the point of departure from land, then the Coast Guard nose starts to build a grid. And at some point, and, and one of the things I do say to people is that when you're in a moment of trauma, memory is yes. fuzzy and not yes. always reliable. Uh, but there was something on the order of nine, 10 different agencies that then took to water and air to do the search. And by the time they started the search, it was right as the sun was setting and, um, and, and uh, the beautiful day that had happened the day before had turned back into a nasty raw spring day of, uh, or night at this point of, of, blustery, gusty winds and um, rain. It was mm. so cold. Contrasting. And, the contrasting uh, of the emotions yes. there. It's, it, it, like it, it just set the mood, mm-hmm. like exactly of what was going mm-hmm. on in your own lives, that mm-hmm. the environment was reflecting. That. The environment was reflecting. And the Coast Guard uh, continued its search. And by the end of the second day, the Coast Guard called us in with the family of his friend as well, and uh, sat us down and started telling us about, they pulled out the map and showed the grid that the helicopters were flying and that the, and that the, the vessels on the sound were tracing, and they showed us the currents and all this and all these different vehicles they were using. And I can remember listening to the, the Coast Guard um, chief who was, uh, I can't remember his title, but who was, who was leading the conversation, and I can remember this feeling rising up in me of like, why are you telling me what you're doing? Just keep doing it. 
my son is lost. Mm. Why are you wasting this time telling me about all the vehicles and the grids? I don't care. I just want you back out there looking for him. And then there was another one of those moments of reckoning where I thought, oh my God, he's giving me the evidence for why they're calling off the search. He's building the case that they have done all they can do. He's going to tell me they're calling off the search. And that's what they were doing. And that's what they did at the end of the second day. So... Um, two days that they searched. So then, and we went home. And then, so then, <gasps> and we didn't know if he was ever going to be recovered. Uh, you have to just start planning. You have to plan a memorial. You can't plan a funeral. You don't have a body to bury, but you have to plan right. a memorial, and um, you have to move forward because part of the case that they build for you is that uh, with the boat gone and no sign of the kids, they were in the water hypothermia, how long someone can survive in a bottle, in a, in a, in the water without a vessel. And, and they really basically showed to us there was, there was no way the temperature of the water was nay, too cold to survive. And, um, so you go forward and plan a memorial and, uh, the day before his memorial was to take place, um, our, our, my husband's phone rang and it was, so it was a Friday afternoon, the phone rang. And the phone rang with the number of, Spencer was a commercial fisherman, so rang with the, name, with the phone number of his captain, so the captain of the boat that he worked on. And the captain said, I wanted you to hear it from me first. I just heard a call over the, the shared airways that the commercial fishermen use on the sound. There's a, ch- a shared channel that um, one of the commercial boats out fishing right now just discovered the body of a young male. And I think it might be Spencer. So we actually found out from his captain that his body had been found. About an hour later, the Coast Guard did call us Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. confirmed that they had found the body of a male that they believed was Spencer. Um, But positive identification would have to be made before it could be confirmed to be him. So he was found the day before his memorial and... uh, did you end up then switching? At, well, we did a memorial. Off, I, yeah, we did a memorial. Yeah. When when a when a body is um, lost under Trump traumatic circumstances, you have to mm-hmm. go through the entire process of the medical examiner's investigation. It was going to take a while, and that mm-hmm. that we knew that was going to take a while. So we were able to actually bury him um, about seven eight days later. This is where memory fails me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were able to do a, a graveside service for him and actually lay his body to rest once the medical examiner was finished with her investigation. Wow. Mm-hmm. That and is one just thing so that I much. think is important to share, Kendra, just to, to honor yes. the friend he was with, uh, her yes. body was never found. So Spencer was recovered and his friend was never, never found. Do you know how the family, how... Did they do a memorial, but then they never were able to have a burial then? I don't know. I didn't know her family well. Obviously, uh, as we were all together during the Coast Guard search and the investigation, we spent hours together. Um, But after that was concluded, we we have not been in contact. Uh, I know that they conducted some of their own private Mm -hmm. family um, searches and and sort of gathered up community to, to continue a search for her. And um, I do not know if they were if they ended up doing a memorial. I, and obviously, there's a tremendous amount of pain there. And, oh, and so okay. yeah. One of the questions that someone asked me in the very early days, and I'm grateful that people were brave enough to ask me the questions, was once he was found, someone said, "Does it feel better now that you found Ooh. him?" That's a that's one of that is a brave. Yeah, question. it's a brave question, and. And I had to pause and stop and think, and I had to say, you know, there's a part of me that is devastated that he was found because there's a part of me that said, you know, if anyone could have survived, if anyone could have Mm -hmm. made it to land and Mm -hmm. figured out a way to get himself and his friend there, it was Spencer. So that teeny little infinitesimal hope that he had made it somewhere and we just hadn't found him yet 
that light went out and that was Mm -hmm. devastating. But on the far side, I don't have to wonder what happened. I don't have that hole that needs to be filled by some sort of, I don't, it's not closure. It's just, it's, it's the knowing to be filled. And that did bring some measure of peace. And so in the end, I had to say, I am grateful that we were able to find him, his body and, and bury his body. But the finality of it was like mm-hmm. a whole nother death mm-hmm. from, from the first day that we lost From when him. the first, mm-hmm. yeah. Because mm-hmm. from the first day, you still, so for those 13 days before they find mm-hmm. him, you still have that little bit of hope. That Even if you're having a memorial, hope. there's still that little bit of hope that's there. And, that's right. And then, yes, it's again, reliving it once again Then when they find him. Now, what, because this has just been two years, mm-hmm. it's still like for me, even just talking to you and hearing your voice and your mm-hmm. perspective, and I've read some of your posts mm-hmm. and just the, the way that you speak just feels like your journey has been so much longer. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking that there's been just either you definitely lived a lot of other types of grief Mm. before in your life or some other aspects of it in different forms of different changes or transitions Mm. in your life that led you to have some kind of tools or equipment to be able to deal with this. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like what have been those tools that you had and what are the tools that you've had to learn to Mm. develop to help you on this journey of grief? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, If I go back a little way to actually the founding of the company that I'm part of the founding team on, um, it's actually part of my story of being able to navigate this grief mm-hmm. journey. We made a commitment in the creation of, of the company Peach to commit uh, early time, energy, and resources to building a culture that's based upon the tenets of positive psychology. And positive psychology, if I put it in super simple terms, is about discovering how to live into well-being you can substitute different words for well-being you could say tap my passion discover my purpose um, Mm -hmm. live a life of meaning you know all of those words really fit into um, what positive psychologists are helping us to do to live into that space and they do it by teaching us how to shut down the itty bitty shitty committee inside our heads. <laughs> and that's not a technical term. That's a Bevan Peach yeah. term. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I've heard that I've heard that term called like the drunken monkey. There you I've go. Heard it called. <laughs> exactly. I just like to call it the shitty committee inside your head. So to teach you how to stop thinking that, gosh, I'm gonna live the good life once I fix this thing about myself that really stinks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And instead it teaches us how to focus on discovering what we are really great at, what strengths we were born with, what our unique strengths fingerprint is. And it teaches us how to focus and train there. And that's how we live into to well-being, discover purpose, um, and, and create meaning for ourselves and, and those around us. I like to say it's how we bring the best version of ourselves to the world. So I started this work in internal space because, interestingly, of a professional opportunity to start a company. And um, Thank God for that, because it taught me how to get quiet, to look internally, to discover patterns, and Mm. look for learning. And so, repeat those again. Repeat, repeat those again. I'm gonna hold on. I have to grab a piece of paper because I'm just gonna. Yeah, go ahead. Say those again. It, It taught me how to get quiet, to look internally to ask myself in moments, this was a moment of hardship, but what's the learning? What can I learn here? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as I was training myself on how to do that holistically, who knew what a gift that would be in helping me to navigate a trauma of losing my child. Mm. And so, um, Side story for me, this is, this is helpful to understanding how important getting quiet is. 
um, I, I'm a salesperson. <laughs> I'm talking to you in a very <laughs> calm, even tone. But my regular state of being is this. I'm on. I've got zest. I've got passion. I've got drive. I've got, uh, you know, that's who I am. That is, that and, uh, is me. Woo! You're on. You're I'm on. on. <laughs> You're on or off. Yeah. <laughs> no different modality in between. And what strength training taught me how to do was to develop a new modality. And, um, and so when I lost my child, one of the first things that happens is you're never, for me, my never ending energy source for anyone else who maybe doesn't have quite as much energy as I have, but your energy is immediately sapped. It is gone. It is gone. Physical, emotional, cognitive, spiritual energy, non-existent. And had I not the had pain. strength, it blocks. Oh, it blocks because it's blocking. Yeah, I've just I'm everything. hearing the I'm listening to the Untethered Soul, mm. uh, Soul mm-hmm. book, and it talks about those like that when you're blocking those flows of energy, yes. like you know that exactly about the emotional part. So um, yes, and how you're like, how could you be in bed? But then the moment that something, let's say you know, something that's, uh, I don't know, exciting that fuels your soul again. Mm-hmm. Like you definitely, you know, suddenly all of a sudden you have the energy to run, you know, a marathon in that right. moment, even though you've right. been like, you know, distraught. Okay. So sorry. That was yeah, my no, side no, note there. It's, it's, okay. it's a great so part you're of the drained, story. You're drained you're emotionally, drained physically, in, mm-hmm. spiritually in every single way. And, and for someone like me, that's super high energy. It is so disorienting. And had mm-hmm. I not started this internal strengths training before I lost Spencer, I think that disorientation would have kept me in bed because I just wouldn't have known what to do. But because of the strengths training that I had started, I'd learned, I had started to train myself on how to get quiet. So then when I had no energy and it was deafeningly quiet, I wasn't completely without tools to try to figure out how to get through. And the tool that I leaned on heavily during this time is that strength of curiosity where I just started to ask myself, what am I supposed to be learning right now? What am I supposed to be figuring out for myself so that then I can go teach others? Because yes, I'm a salesperson and what I do is I train. So I train salespeople. So so my brain is very wired to want to, once I learn something, teach others the same. And mm-hmm. I thought to myself, well, this this process of of dying, death, sorrow, grief, trauma, mm-hmm. there's something that can be learned and taught here too. You can teach people about this also. And in teaching others, you know, when you teach someone else, you teach yourself at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just started to look for patterns. I started to look for learnings and, um, and then I started to, uh, to write about it and it, and it kind of just unfolded organically. I started to write on my Facebook page, the questions that people had asked me. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us because I you mentioned a little bit when we spoke about is it Saturday meditations? Saturday meditations. Yep. Meditations that you call your Saturday posts. That's right. And you chose to pick a day to write. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this that you didn't want it to necessarily be that it was consuming your whole feed, mm-hmm. but that it was like um kind of focused on a certain day so that people could still get those answers that maybe they had in their head, yes. you would basically just lay them out there yes. in your post. So yes. share a little bit about yeah. that. So so at the, at the highest level, um, it was really important for me as I started to document the process of a lost journey, teach about a lost journey. Um, it was really important for me to show that someone who has lived through the deepest trauma can still have joy, can still yes. have relationships, can still have a full and rich life. And so as I started to write about my lost journey, I realized very quickly, I can't have every post be about death. Like who wants to, who wants to log in and look at that? That's just well, mine end up being that because I'm in my podcast one, <laughs> mine end up being all about, <laughs> not always, but, but, but we're telling yes, the holistic yes. story of our lives when we're with you as well. And so Correct. I wanted Correct. to make sure that I was being truthful about my experience. And part of my experience is how do we still give ourselves permission to feel joy. And, and so my weekday posts are about 
sales training tips. They're about my job. They're about the fun things we get to do running a fashion company. They're behind the scenes of wearing clothes and doing trainings. Like it's, it, it is what a traditional feed might be. And then mm -hmm. every Saturday, I reserve that time. It is sacred um, to write about my lost journey. And I made a commitment in the in, in the earliest days to myself, I didn't publicly declare it until recently, that uh, I would answer or talk about, answer any question or talk about the entire process of grief, not just the things I wanted to write about, but mm -hmm. everything, even the most uncomfortable things. And uh, so last week, uh, sorry, the week prior, uh, I wrote probably one of my hardest Saturday meditations. And it was because, again, somebody was brave enough to ask me the question. Thank God for my brave people in my life. <laughs> are these friends or, all, or just uh, a not all, no, are they, a lot not of them all of come them. in as um, DMs or PMs. Some yes. of them are friends. Some of them are, are people who work on our in our sales community that I've never met before, but they are part of uh -huh. our sales community. And and the question came in um, asking me if I had to identify Spencer's body. And I thought, wow, all right, I'm going to take this one on. I'm, I'm going to tell you about identifying my son's body. And, um, and other posts that I've written about are, you know, uh, how do you avoid saying, how are you? I mean, that's the question mm. that everyone on the grief journey gets in the earliest days. And it is the worst question the that you question. can face. Yes. So I can teach, I can share um, in that post, I could, I could teach someone who wants to say, how are you, different words to say. And I can also teach mm -hmm. the person who's in a loss journey who receives the question, how are you, how to respond so that you don't yeah. have to answer that question head on. You actually have other ways that you can respond to it. So I have practical <laughs> advice, you know, how to <laughs> of, of, of a lost journey. And, and then I have very, very personal parts of a lost journey, you know, packing up my son's room, um, reading letters that people wrote to me. I've shared excerpts of, of letters about Spencer. I have one thing that I think is really important for people to know who are listening, who have not been on a lost journey, but maybe supporting others on a lost journey. I have learned by talking to parents who have buried their children that one of the deepest held fears in their bodies is that their child will be forgotten. The world will forget who their child is. And so um, some of my posts are just telling you about Spencer for two reasons. One, okay. I don't want the world to forget who he was. He was incredible. He was a power right. lifter. He was a commercial fisherman. He was, um, uh, and, and, and in his free time when he fished, he was a catch and release fisherman just to take pictures of the beauty mm. of, of God's bounty of the sea. I mean, he just was mm. just a super cool, neat kid, super passionate. Um, mm. and, and I want the world to know who he was because I don't want them to forget. And then I want parents who have lost their children to know that they have permission to share about their child too. And I want people to know that you can ask, not only can you need to ask the parent on a lost journey to talk about their child because mm -hmm. they want to, to. they need to, it's part yes. of their lost journey. And you need to be brave enough, my friends, supporting us on the lost journey, brave enough to sit and listen and bear witness. It's what you're saying is just so important because I, one of, I facilitate a group, you know, a grief group. Mm -hmm. And one of the things in general in my journey of either talking to people that have grieved or in these kind of things mm -hmm. is that question of the people just contact you maybe the first week or so. That's and right. then sometimes people stop because you, they don't know and they don't know what to say sometimes right. either and how to be supportive. And, um, and what you what you shared about your post, like not only say, like the right thing to say, but also the right way to receive it. Mm. That as a person that is going through the journey of grief, to be somebody that really has a lot of grace and that is forgiving to the people mm. that also come into their space with mm. the things that are not really the right mm -hmm. things, <laughs> mm -hmm. and and maybe with tactfulness, maybe you know like tell them, you know, thank you so much for asking. I appreciate it. I'm going to just share this with you just so you know mm -hmm. that 
just that question of the how are you is just really tough to answer for somebody that's just lost. I know that your intentions are totally mm -hmm. pure and I really appreciate it. So it may be rephrasing it of like, you know, how are you feeling today? Or I don't know, which is actually tell me some yeah, of the things that yeah. you shared of what of some of those words that, I mean, we could go look for your post too, but just yeah. say a few one of those of, phrases. I think one of the simplest ways to respond if, if you receive the, how are you question and, mm -hmm. um, and you don't want to go deeply, but you need to say something. Um, yes. I, I say, you can look right at the person and you can say to them, I'm so glad to see you. Because that's true. Mm. You don't need to answer that you were in the shower wailing that morning. You don't need to say that you fought, saw a picture and fell to your knees. You don't need to. You can if you want to. But if you don't have the energy or the desire to, then the most truthful, mm -hmm. authentic thing you can say in that moment is, I'm so glad to see you. And that lets you move into mm. the conversation after that. Mm -hmm. That it, and unless like it is in that space of wanting to be able to have somebody listen yes. to your, that's yeah, right. yeah, that's right. Just, and then yeah, if, you have and to then kind of like decide in that moment how right. deep you want to go into your, that's into your right. own grief sharing. That's right. that's uh, right. And now what about like the type of phrases that for you, for example, when somebody would ask you, what were some of those phrases that you thought, wow, that is actually a good question that they're asking me of wanting to know how I'm feeling, mm. but in a different way. So what were some of those that you yeah. noticed in this journey? Well, it, it, it's, it's one that I actually did sort of teach people to do a little shift on. So, so there's a wonderful mm -hmm. book that is um, out there written by Sheryl Sandberg. I'm sure you're familiar with it. And um, it's uh, option B. And in that book, after losing her husband, she talks about the how are you question being so hard. And um, she encouraged people to say, instead of how are you, to say, how are you today? And, and yes, that, yeah. um, or the second. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I actually have not read that book. I have not oh, read it. I just wrote book. it. Down. I encourage okay. you to, to pick it up. It's a wonderful yes. book. And so she said, you know, that helps to narrow it. And I remember reading yes. that and thinking to myself, that is helpful. It does narrow it. Yes. But um, it didn't totally work for me still because mm -hmm. how are you today is still asking me to make an assessment of self. Where yes. am I in my grief yes. journey? That may not be what the person intends in that question, but that's what you hear when you're on a lost journey yes. is like, how are you coping today? And mm -hmm. um, so I've encouraged people to do just one more shift and say, how is today? So no more mm -hmm. is it about me, but it's just about this inanimate object of the day. And for some reason, mm -hmm. for me, that's easier to answer. And I can usually say things like, today's a, a really busy day. Um, you know, we launched a product collection and we filmed three videos and whew, I'm tired and ready for you know, a glass of wine in bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or mm -hmm. if I feel comfortable, I could say, today's a hard day. Today mm -hmm. is a day I thought of Spencer a lot. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, it is a hard day. And, and that's for me, a more comfortable way of doing a check-in with someone on my worth yes. loss journey than feeling like someone's asking about me holistically. That, that's harder for me. You know, it also, there is something about that question, even though it still could be a good, not good type of answer, mm -hmm. there could be that. But when you have to specify the how is today, and like you said, you could be like, well, today, like you said, the area of your business. If I mm -hmm. want to talk about my business, mm -hmm. I could go there with my mm -hmm. answer. If I want to go about my feelings. Well, just like you said, if you say the, how are you, you do have to say, how are your emotions? That's how are right. you? It's That's not necessarily right. the day itself. That's I could right. go if like, how is today? I could start talking about, well, the kids started school. Yes, da, 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 da. Exactly. I could completely go into that busy thing of life if I really don't want to address That's my right. feelings it, in that moment. It gives the lost like traveler that, yeah. uh, more degrees of freedom on how they respond. Yes. That is a, that is a, a really good shift in how to say. Now, what are the things you started already talking a little bit mm -hmm. about the the gratitude component that you already started to use pretty much early on mm -hmm. in even just getting yourself out of bed pretty yeah. much because mm -hmm. of the feeling like, okay, there is a reason, there is a, a learning in this, right? There's and the be quiet, look, mm -hmm. look for... Um, well, you see, I can't understand my own reading, my own writing. <laughs> to, look for what uh, you look, see. Look internally, look, look internally, right. and ask myself the le uh, what lesson that part. So mm -hmm. you started already asking that pretty early on. So you could already see the 
gratitude or the growth or the reason component of what you were going through early on. Yeah. When, Some bits of bit, bits, little bits yes, of Yes. <laughs> when it was, it's super interesting. Before uh, I lost Spencer, we had, see, I still even say lost. Before we lost him. It's okay. That's why I asked yeah. at the beginning, yeah. what, do you, what do you want? Because, um, again, I, we don't all feel ready and nobody has to push somebody else to say okay. something that they're not ready to embrace yet. Okay. Just like I didn't raise, I didn't raise my mom's phone number from my phone till I think two years yeah. after she had died. Um, Spencer's still so, one of my uh, favorites. Can't take yeah. Off. So you see the same, I couldn't either <laughs> until the, I butt dialed by accident, you know, like the phone call. And then when that person called me back, oh, the wow. new owner, that, yeah, yeah, and seeing the name mm -hmm. of it in my car, mommy, you know, mommy oh. calling that then I was like, wow. for me, it was that sign. Yep. I, after I said, oh, sorry, I just dialed the wrong number. And after I hung up with that person, I said, I get it, mommy. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I know it's time. Yeah. And so that was the day I felt called to delete it. Uh, but um, for everybody is different. So this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, and it may not be, you know, that way for somebody else. It may be something else that they're still you know, attached to, or that have a little bit more, um, of an attack, um, of a trouble kind yeah. of releasing yeah. from, and even it could just be that use of those particular words of what, what they choose to use in that. Yeah. So okay. it's okay. So okay. continue. So when, when, well, when, uh, we, when you lost Spencer, when we mm -hmm. came home, the Coast Guard was still running its search. So it was between day one and day two. Uh, and I got in bed that night and I turned off the lights and as you can imagine, sleep did not come. And I sat there and my brain was, was turning. And even though, as I shared with you, you hold on to that 1% hope for your child, mm -hmm. there's the other side of you that's like, that says to you, he's, he's gone. He, he's gone, Bevan. He's already gone. And so I sat up in bed and I thought, I have to do something. I can't, I can't just sit here and stare in the darkness. So I turned my light back out on and I pulled out my, um, at the time I called it my notebook. I didn't even call it a journal. And I had, and, and really about two months before Spencer had, had died, I can say that, um, mm -hmm. I had started a gratitude journal, a gratitude notebook, where I was just beginning a practice of looking back at my day, finding one thing I was grateful for, and just writing it down, not even in complete sentences. So I pulled that notebook out and I, I, I flipped all the way to the back. I didn't want to put an entry in sequence. Mm. I, I, it needed its own space. So I literally flipped to the last page and I dated the to be top. the first to be the, you yeah. basically starting it as if you were yeah. from the middle East, like a different exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And I put the date another the beginning, another yep. beginning. I put the time and, um, and I just started writing gratitudes for Spencer. What was I grateful for that I had a chance to have this child for 20 years? Mm -hmm. And they just flowed. And I, I don't know how long I wrote, probably 10 minutes. And I filled the page and I flipped to the other side and I, and I filled the page. And they were all different things like, you know, teaching me about fish <laughs> <laughs> to just being an incredible big brother who was so brave, taught his brothers so much to uh, being so strong, like just silly things, but also meaningful things to me. And um, I just needed to do something in that moment to create. It's, it's not about, um, it's not about trying to find the answer. It's not about, it's not about trying to give his death meaning. That's different. Mm -hmm. But it was about trying to create meaning in that moment. And for me, going to a place of gratitude was like, was like my own life support in that moment. It was like the, the you know, throwing out the life ring for me into the water that I could hold on to. And, um, and that is a practice that I've continued through till today, uh, religiously. My, my gratitude, now I do call it a gratitude journal. Um, and it is simply looking back at the day and finding 
one thing that I am grateful for. And sometimes it's that I, my kitchen is clean. I mean, it's not yeah. particularly, <laughs> particularly no, groundbreaking. And yeah, gratitude doesn't have to be huge things all the time. Huge. No. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it's a gratitude that, you know, Sally had the bravery to ask me about my loss journey. And then mm-hmm. I was able to write about it. So yeah, gratitude yeah, showed sense. up right away so in the that, middle of trauma. In the, and, that's, and that's the thing. It makes you just so much more grateful and empathetic to the world because you're just so much in tune to everybody else's pain. And I'm sure that in the industry that you're in, um, it just is also such an eye opener because you're able to relate to other people now in their life. Actually share a little bit before you came back to work, mm-hmm. because that was something yeah. that you, you shared in our pre-interview, yeah. share a little bit about that, of what it yeah. is. Cause it, people are probably like, Oh my gosh, she's coming back. What are we going to say? What, what exactly. do we, so, so my role at my company, um, internally is, is very much, um, public for our internal community and then externally facing to uh, the world of our clients. It's also very public. Uh, Before COVID, I was on the road. uh, And before we lost Spencer, also during this time, I was on the road uh, two to four days every single week, traveling across the country to give trainings, to deliver workshops, seminars, conferences, keynotes. So my life was very, very public. And uh, that all came to a screeching halt after we lost Spencer. And I was on bereavement leave for about 12 weeks. And um, when I came back, it was actually 13 in the end. And when I came back, uh, I, I came back to deliver our internal leadership conference where we would have uh, the top of our leadership and sales into Boston where our home office is. For Ooh, their so, annual, so to something big right away. Yes, to their something annual big conference. Right away. That's right, that's right. And so there were two things that I had to do. One was I needed to come back into my office with, with our internal team. And then I had to come back very publicly with our sales team. And, um, and Janet, my CEO, before I came back to the office, she said, you know, Bevan, um, you're coming into the office in a few days. Is there anything you would like me to say, or is there anything that you would like to, to say to prepare the home office to mm-hmm. receive you? And I said, wow, it's a really good question. I said, hold on. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of thinking and asking what the learning is. Give me a minute. I think I do have something to say. And that actually was the beginning of me writing about the lost journey because Janet asked that question. So people asking yes. questions is just, questions. just so powerful. Yes. So <laughs> that's why if anybody uh, wants to heal, yes. just hop on the podcast. I'll ask that's questions right. too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I started writing and I actually titled the the one pager, the white paper, if you will, that, that I titled it at the top, you know, how to five steps for helping your friend through grief. I mean, it was a really cheap <laughs> title at the top. I mean, who knew what I was doing at that stage? But I wrote down um, five things for them to be able to receive me. So I talked about, instead of how are you, what they could say instead. I talked to them Mm -hmm. about how touch can have an emotional reaction, but don't be afraid to hug me. People are afraid to Mm. hug because they think they made you cry. Oh, you did not make me cry, my friend. The tears were always Mm -hmm. there, always there under the surface. You're not reminding me that I lost my son. I know. So don't be afraid to hug me. You didn't make me cry. Mm. And, uh, and we talked about how um, talking and saying Spencer's name and sharing stories of Spencer is the greatest gift that you could give. And so that's how I sort of prepared our home office to receive me. And then in preparation for our sales community to receive me, I actually held a series of 19 different one-on-one call, not one-on-one, sorry, small group calls with with you know groups of one to eight leaders uh, on the call to take them through that basic concept again and to let them know that I'm still Bevan, I'm still zesty, I still have energy, and I do now have a lost journey that will be forever a part of my life. So hug me, talk to me, know that I'll cry, don't be afraid. And we talked a lot about bearing witness because one of the things that we 
particularly in our culture, I have seen other cultures do this better than, than the, the American culture, the United States culture, and that is learning how to sit by someone's side and mm. just bear witness. Be. be. Just be. Just, just be. be there. Yeah. That's it, it, even if it's just like being on the other side of a phone, mm-hmm. just there, even if it's silent. I just right. thinking of like, um, right? Just, yeah, just to just it's, be. Just don't so try that the to fix knows. it. I know. Yep. Don't try to nope, fix it. Nope, don't try right. to fill the space mm-hmm. with conversation. Mm-hmm. Just be with me and be okay with the silence by my side. That's yeah. bearing witness. And that does help a lost traveler to be comforted. And mm-hmm. it is a part of the healing process. And the ripple effect that by you having this experience, by you sharing that with the sales team mm-hmm. as well as the people inside, mm-hmm. then that ripple effect that goes on to the people that they're around. That's right. Because now it's like anytime any of their friends or people in their own team have, you know, a loss or, you know, a death or something, another big um, grief, you know, yes. encounter, a loss of a job, a lot, any other type of thing that can happen, they now have also these tools to use in that and to be there and to be, and to just be, and to just be. One of the greatest, uh, I I say it's Spencer's living legacy, and it's one of the greatest Mm. gifts that someone can give to me is when um, I receive a note from someone I know or don't know that says to me, Bevan, I want you to know that because I read your post about fill in the blank, one of the Saturday meditation posts, when my best friend's son died in a car accident two weeks ago, I knew how to be there for her. And I wouldn't have mm. if I hadn't read that. Yes. That's, that's, that's a uh, gift. And, and that's that why is I write. It's it's the aspect of putting yourself in a vulnerable situation, uh, knowing that not only is it going to help your healing, mm-hmm. but also, and again, healing. When we talk about healing and grief, it, again, it doesn't mean the fix. There's nothing to fix. That's we right. were saying, right? It's that's just right. the aspect of knowing how to live your life with this wound that's, that's right. always going to be there, um, and the fact of you sharing that then creates these kind of ripples and it's just so comforting because then you do know okay okay there is a reason of why I had to post and, that's right and even though I felt uncomfortable that one person that had that positive you know experience of being able to support their friend that that's that right. was worth it it was worth it was worth my vulnerability and my uncomfortableness that's right uh, in order to help that so that is just so much and right now too for you to be on this podcast and sharing your story and the listeners that are now hearing this, just know that not everybody, by the way, and this is one thing too that I say, not everybody has to share their grief story in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody has to write a blog. Not everybody has to be on a podcast. Everybody has their own way in which their story can impact somebody else. And it could be even, you know, you know, I don't know, planting a garden in honor of somebody. Everybody has their own journey of their grief. That's and, exactly uh, right. and it's, and it's, it's, yeah, it just, uh, yeah. Respecting that, that, yeah, not everybody's journey is the same and how you mm-hmm. express it is mm-hmm. not the same. So thank you again. Anything else you wanted to share? I know, do you want to say any, I'm going to put your, um, contact in the notes, but yeah. if you want to just quickly say how they can find you, sure. if they're already, if they are driving and don't want to scroll right, down right. right now and find the link <laughs> as they're listening to the podcast. Yes. Well, one of the things I like to say is um, as a child, I hated my first name because it was so unusual. And now as an adult, I'm very grateful for it. There aren't it. very many Bevins in the world. So that is B as in boy. I always have to say that Bevin. Uh, so you can actually find me on Instagram. Bevin Mugford is uh, simple. That's how you can find me Facebook as well. And what I say to people is uh, you can search for a Saturday meditation and um, they are there every Saturday. Very rarely do I miss a Saturday. That's usually only if I'm on the road on a conference and that's pretty rare these days where we're sheltering in place. And, um, and please don't be shy about sending a private message. Even if we don't know one another, there are no questions out of bounds. And by you asking me the question, you help me to look for the learning. And when I discover it and share it out, you're helping others as well. So 
I do encourage the personal contact and, um, and questions so we can learn together and, and like I say, break the silence that surrounds death because it is the guarantee that we have in life. We will face death mm -hmm. of someone that we love or supporting someone that we love as they face the death of their loved one. With that, we'd like to end. Thank you so much again, Bevan. That's just uh, beautiful takeaways that you shared today. Thank you. Thank you, Kendra. It's my pleasure. And thank you to Spencer also mm -hmm. for allowing us to share his story as well. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.